Last week, we took a look at Yakuza Like a Dragon, a new school RPG with an old school mentality. We looked at the story, the characters, the presentation, and all sorts of other things in that regard. This week, we're moving on and talking about the gameplay. Hello again, JD here with the Gaming Off the Beaten Path podcast, and this week it's part two of our our discussion of Yakuza Like a Dragon. Uh, as I mentioned in the intro last week, we kind of looked at the characters, the gameplay, and the more kind of soft stuff, the story, things like that, that, you know, are very important to RPGs. However, there's still video games at their core, so we've got to talk about gameplay. So this week, we're going to be looking at things like the battle system, the exploration, you know, gameplay. Uh, first, though, a word of caution. I would like to pre-apologize to everyone if my air conditioner kicks on. You see, I don't have a fancy setup or a room dedicated to gaming or recording or any of that. I just don't have that in my house, so I have to record out of my basement. Normally, I would just turn the thing off, but at uh, recording time, it is about, I don't know, 11 billion degrees here in the Northeast, so I'm not doing that. Uh, so I would like to pre-apologize if, if you hear any interference in the background, because that's most likely what it's going to be from. With that out of the way, let's get back into Yakuza. Again, it was a refreshing modern take on a JRPG. You know, it kind of was a, you know, a new school game with an old school mentality. Um, it was kind of cool seeing that from a series that, you know, is more known for like third person action and exploration and stuff like that. So, you know, I think I, I got across and I hope I got across that the story, the presentation weren't perfect and they were a little bit long winded. But overall, were outstanding. It was backed up by an all-time great cast of characters and some of the best voice acting around. With that said, how did the gameplay compare? You know, again, RPGs are a genre where I am willing to look the other way on a little bit on weaker gameplay for a great story. But gameplay is still important. So, first... We're going to have to talk a little bit about the combat system. That's where, in my opinion at least, most of the gameplay from RPGs come in. You know, that's the biggest you know, core uh, of what's going on. And Like a Dragon's combat will make veteran RPG players feel right at home, which is a callback to just good old-fashioned turn-based battles the way that they used to be. Um, so that, coupled with some polish from, you know, your typical modern games, made the combat really just incredibly fun, if a little bit repetitive. So, encounters are all touch-based. Any potential enemies you find, uh, wandering the streets of Ijincho will have red arrows over their head, and they'll have, like, a field of vision cone, a la Metal Gear Solid. You cross the field and stay there for too long, and it's gonna trigger an encounter. Battles are fought in an in incredibly traditional turn-based style. One character can attack, defend, use abilities or items. 
Four characters enter the battle, but they can be tagged out at any time, even if they are knocked out and even if it's not their turn. Somebody can burn their turn to tag somebody out. Uh, the presentation, getting back to that for a second, of these fights, from the way the camera moves to how you know the characters move about the screen, is more similar to what you'd see in an action RPG. But these encounters are truly turn-based. You can see who's going next, uh, or whose turn it is, and who's attacking next, but that's about it for extra information. This isn't like a Final Fantasy X or a Mega Man Command missions where you know you can see like the next like ten moves or whatever it is. It's just who's up and who's next. Um, attacks are physical or non-physical. I'll probably call them magic at some point, um, but you know they're basically physical and magic. Physical damage is divided into blunt, slashing, and piercing. There's also three elements, which are fire, ice, and lightning. Occasionally, you'll be able to pick up an item in the background and swing that or throw that at your enemies. Um, but it's almost completely random. I shouldn't say it is random. You can wait for your characters to move around the screen because they do move in real time. But you can't position them yourself. Uh, you can make them move by attacking an enemy. That's about it. Um, so if you see your character is standing by what looks like a, a usable background object and you select attack, they might pick that up and swing it at the enemy, and usually for pretty big damage. Uh, some attacks can knock enemies down, and that'll allow your allies to get extra hits. Uh, if you use your turn on a regular attack to a downed enemy, they'll do even more damage. Um, Ichiban also has the unique ability to summon pound mates, uh, which are like powerful attacks that act kind of like summons in the Final Fantasy games. Um, it's a little uh, sillier than that, but that's essentially what they are. They don't cost MP, but you have to pay for them. Um, like, actually pay in-game currency for them. Uh, they, they also, you know, you, you start with limited ones, and they can be unlocked through the various other side quests and world events, sub-stories. So, we'll get to that a little bit later, but as is customary for RPGs, each fight yields experience for both character level and job level, as well as items and yen. The battles are simple, but fun. And you know, it's kind of like, I know that was kind of a bare-bones explanation, but it's a very simple in a good way. It's kind of that, like, what's old is new deal. You know, combat like this used to be common, maybe not exactly like this, but or presented like this, but like this in, in practice, and, and I really do miss it, and I know a lot of RPG players feel the same way I do. So, combat, definitely strong. Yakuza Like a Dragon utilizes a job system, which is also fairly straightforward, but also adds plenty of variety. Each character's got their own unique job, and there are several universal jobs, with two sets available for the male and female characters, respectively. It's They're all based on RPG tropes, but with actual real-world jobs, which kind of adds to the more realistic, you know, 2019 or, you know, 20-whatever year it is, uh, Yokohama kind of aesthetic. So the men, for instance, have access to a construction foreman, which is a slow kind of swing a hammer, but big damage. Bodyguard, you got... Slashing attacks, a lot of slashing attacks, but most of them also damage you as well as your enemies. Chef, which are slashing and fire attacks. Uh, a host, which uses buffs and non-physical ice attacks. And fortune teller, uh, which has general support 
with a lot of non-physical damage options. And Musician, that's the, the one I'm missing. I knew it was one. Uh, with a lot of non-physical attacks, buffs, and div buffs. The ladies can be a hostess, which they focus on area ice attacks and non-physical moves, an idol, and one of them, by the end of this game, will need to be an idol at all times, because that's your healer. Uh, you have the Night Queen, with physical attacks that can exploit elemental weaknesses and often brainwash enemies, and the Dealer, a luck-based attack that can do huge damage in the right scenarios. And of course, you know, this is kind of like, a, for anybody that's played Final Fantasy Tactics, you know, the calculator job that, like, you can sort of set it up to do more than than you normally would. Really, at the end of the day, these are all just real-world takes on typical JRPG jobs, like Knight, White Mage, Black Mage, etc. You get the idea. Each of these jobs max out at level 99, though they typically stop learning new moves well before that. Some of the moves can be carried over from job to job, uh, but most can't. I found it the best strategy to kind of switch early and often, but focus on one job and more and more on one job as the game goes on. Uh, all of them are useful in their own right. I found some to be stronger than others, but all were useful at least at some point. Uh, some are available at the start. Most require you to raise Ichiban's bond level with his allies, a process that we're going to discuss in a little bit. Um, Ichi also has personality traits that he can increase. Uh, it's something that's totally unique to him. Um, they do affect you in combat a little bit, but they're more, you know, for kind of like social scenarios and, you know, um, you know, text trees and, and stuff of, of that nature. But again, you know, all the jobs were fairly useful. Um, I found uh, Bodyguard to be a little eh. I found kind of the unique jobs to start out a little weaker but get stronger as they went on. Um, and again, for the ladies, the idle job with all the healing really is critical, especially towards the end of the game. So, in terms of exploration, most of the game is going to take place in Yokohama, Ijincho, uh, whatever, you know, I, I never quite figured out which was which, what's the state, what's the city. Um, it's divided into several different sections, a la, you know, typical GTA game. It's not a huge map by open world standards, but it's pretty big for a JRPG. Uh, I actually think it's just the right size. Um, it feels like a big sprawling city without being overwhelming and unwieldy from a gameplay perspective. You've got taxi cabs, those serve as fast travel points, and they're also pretty plentiful, they're easy to find. There's lots of little nooks and crannies to explore, and I appreciate how flowing the design was. Again, it feels very much like a real city. Um, it, it doesn't, not a city that they created for a video game. Uh, you'll later access Sotenbori. It's much smaller, but still offers plenty to do. It isn't really a big place to explore, but it does have plenty of stuff going on, and it's worth a look around. Kamurocho is also available, though you don't really spend too much time there. Um, it's a big city, but it's only accessible at the very beginning of the game and the very end of the game. So you're likely going to be too inexper inexperienced at the beginning or too preoccupied with the story at the end to really dive in. Um, but again, that's okay. Most of the game is supposed to take place in Ijincho. It's a great place to explore. Definitely one of my favorite kind of uh, maps in a, you know, a game like this. 
there's various collectibles scattered throughout the cities, uh, as well as gold and silver safes containing items. Uh, these safes require keys. You need you have the silver one is a one time. You find it and it's good for the game. The gold ones need to be purchased. Uh, and there's some there's plenty of stuff in these these things. They are worth searching out. Uh, reaching certain areas of the city will trigger conversations that can raise your bond level with your party members. Uh, this may seem odd, but I actively found myself seeking these out because the dialogue was so good and I wanted to learn more about my party because they're all very interesting characters that I would really you know, appreciate these when they came up. Of course, there's the typical JRPG stuff. You've got items and equipment shops. Here, though... They're clothing stores and markets and, and you know, uh, drug stores and grocery, you know, grocery stores. Uh, there's also restaurants where you can eat to restore your health. Certain meals will even trigger special scenes and increase your stats. Um, throughout the game, you can find various sub-stories, which serve essentially as side quests and allow for extra experience and for money. Again, typical JRPG stuff. And... Getting back once again to presentation, these can be a bit of a jarring tonal shift during gameplay, though I kind of found that to be welcome respite uh, more often than not. You see, I had always heard that the Yakuza series was known for a kind of like quirkiness, but also kind of, you know, kept its foot in, in the series, you know, aspect of, of, you know, criminal underworld, those kind of stories. And how Like a Dragon kind of splits this up is the main story is the criminal intrigue and, you know, political uh, dealings and, you know, intense stuff. And the other foot is in the sub-stories, which is the goofy, silly, just bizarre, quirky stuff. This is where that side shines through. Um, again, I've never played any other games in this series, but I've been told it's a hallmark of the series. And we're talking goofy. I mean, we're not just like a little bit of silly or chuckle. You know, we're talking about you go from, you know, dealing with a, a Yakuza hit on your, your boss or a mob hit on your boss or whatever to adult babies and masochists and giant ma vacuums and rescuing crawfish, among other things. A mon monkey in an excavator, that's all you need to know. Of course, beyond the sub-stories, you can find a variety of song side content scattered throughout these cities. Okay, yeah, so now it's time to talk about the side content. I talked a little bit in, you know, with the story about how a lot of, of things in Like a Dragon are, like, the, you know, both the best and worst of modern gaming, best and worst of old school gaming. Well, the side content. Now is where we kind of come to some of the worst... I hesitate to say worst, but... You know, that kind of stuff I'm talking about. Again, I guess that's a bit... Worst is a bit of an overstatement, because none of the side content is actually bad. There's just so, so, so much of it. I get the desire to include a lot of content, and I guess more is better than less. 99% of the time, more content is better than less. If this game was just its main story and over, it would be too short for an RPG. But there is way too much here, and too much of it has too much impact on the game while pulling you too far off your path. 
I'm just going to list out right now all of the side content that's available for you in Like a Dragon. You have Drink Links, Tojo Clan Crest Collection, Can Quest, Treasure Hunt, Shogi, Dragon Cart, Business Management, Crafting, Mahjong, Seagull Cinemas, The Host Club, Part-Time Hero, Honk Honk, The Golf Center, Sega World Arcade, The Batting Cages, Gambling Hall, Sujiman, Darts, Pachinko Slots, Karaoke, Vocational School, Romance... Ijincho Sewers, Camarocho Sewers, the Soten Bori Battle Arena, and I think there's one or two things that I'm forgetting. I can't even begin to go into depth on all of these things, and honestly, some of them I just never touched. Uh, some of them are important. Drink links are the primary way of bonding with your allies, and they do provide some interesting backstories. They were okay, but they're needed to be fewer of them and they needed to be shorter right um so each of these things takes 10 minutes and when it's just you you know you and your primary two or three characters but by the end of the game you have i think it's six or seven party members and yeah each of them eight only takes eight to ten minutes but that's an entire gameplay session you know if you do them all at once uh, again, at least they're compelling and interesting. Um, and, you know, you learn a lot about so many of these great characters. So they are worth doing. Again, I, this is where I hesitate to say, you know, worst. But it, it was a lot. Like, I would have to use an entire night uh, of gaming sometimes because I only can play so much just on these things. You know, the business management was surprisingly addictive and probably the best way to make large amounts of money, though it was more time sinky than I would like it to be. Um, the Sujimon stuff pretty much take, takes care of itself, and it provides valuable information on your enemies. Sega World, now that's how you do side content. You, for, you know, at least part of it. You can play full arcade versions of some Sega classics like Virtua Fighter 2. What, did you think I dug up a Saturn and played that version? No, this is why I reviewed it a couple weeks ago. Super Hang-On, OutRun, and Fantasy Zone, which is a fun feature. It's a nice change of pace. It's a cool nod to Sega's history. And it has nothing to do with getting your characters better gear or equipment. If you have no interest in any of those games, you could never touch them, and it would you would not affect your gameplay at all. Again, though, the Sega World also includes the Claw Machine game, which is awful and a requirement for other in-game things. Which brings us to Part-Time Hero. This is pretty solid stuff, too, and it's a little more typical of a JRPG, but... It offers a series of quests that include defeating certain types of enemies, helping out various citizens who are in trouble, and gathering required items. First two things, not a problem. One just asks you to fight more, the other offers some unique and challenging encounters and a little extra story beats, you know, to learn about Ichi a little bit. But I want nothing at all to do with the fetch quests, I don't care what the rewards are, and these are pretty important, like there's a lot of really critical rewards here. The Sewers and Battle Arena, they're okay. They're the standard JRPG bonus dungeon stuff that pretty much every traditional RPG will and should have. You know, they're kind of like side dungeons that get, you know, a little harder as you go. They're like bonus dungeons, whatever. They're they're like the Kalpas and Shin Megami Tensei Nocturne if they weren't uh, designed by a masochist. 
And then the battle arena, you know, it's like the gold saucer arena in Final Fantasy VII. That stuff isn't super compelling or anything, but it's good. And honestly, it needs to be there. Just, you know, it's a good place to build levels. But I am so sick and tired of crafting, being shoehorned into every RPG ever. That's a new gaming trope that needs to be banished the island of misfit mechanics with escort missions and unnecessary stealth. Stop with the crafting. I never once touched Dragon Cart. The game set it up like a big deal, and it seems fine, but I just don't have the time or patience. Uh, about half this stuff could have gone away, and it would have made the game feel less overwhelming for me. Uh, the story probably runs about 25 to 30 hours, but you could easily put in over 100 if you maxed out all the side stuff. I guess I like the fact that there's a lot of content, but I would rather them put more effort into the more important stuff and also make side content less impactful on your character's growth. You know, have a few things like the side dungeons be important, you know, and the rest be, you know, maybe not optional, but relatively optional. Some of this stuff is literal filler, but other things are almost required to get the most out of your characters. And others, there's like the romance options aren't bad in a vacuum, but they require too much effort for too little payoff that it's too frustrating and I just skipped them. Uh, difficulty spikes here are also very, very abrupt and oppressive, especially when it comes to the bosses. Uh, the first few chapters all have easy bosses, almost to the point that the mobs are, are more difficult to deal with. That's a problem, and it's somewhat mitigated by the first difficulty spike in the middle chapters. It was frustrating because I didn't expect it, but once I thought about it logically, it was really more setting bosses to be appropriately difficult, which I think is okay. But the late chapter difficulty spikes absurd, the bosses become straight up nasty, most can one-shot your character or attack multiple times in a row, and honestly, that wouldn't be such a problem if it wasn't an instant KO game over if Ichiban got KO'd. If he could be revived, that wouldn't be nearly as big of a problem. You can always grind, it's an RPG after all, and you at least have some solid options for doing so with the sewers and battle arena, but this was too much. Uh, the only way to defeat some of these guys is to get into grinded-out wars of attrition, which are fun occasionally, but they quickly become tiresome when literally every boss battle starts to be like that. Artificial difficulty, really not that common in RPGs, but this is one of the ways that they make it happen, and this, combined with all the side stuff, almost makes the game feel bloated. Even though none of what's here is bad, there's just so much of it and sometimes it just takes so long that it feels overwhelming, especially to the target audience. And you know, this is kind of a, a new game thing, you know, the, every game you play has to be the last game you ever play. So I remember when Star Ocean 3, I think Star Ocean Until the End of Time came out, critics panned it for how long it took to complete. Uh, HowLongToBeat.com lists a completionist run of the game at 264 hours till the end of time indeed. Now that's kind of common. Alright, maybe 264 hours isn't common, but the same website estimates Like a Dragon takes more than 100 hours to complete. Said it before, I'll say it again, but it seems like every developer wants every game to be the last one you ever play. These games are all 100 to 200 hours. They take forever if you want to do completionist runs. I've always 
kind of felt that the perfect length for RPG was like 30 to 40 hours for the story with like 50 to 75, maybe 80 for the completionist run. So I guess like a dragon's not that far off, but it still feels a bit overwhelming for an old head like me, at least at some points. That said, I will always take more content over not enough to do, overwhelming or not. I know I just spent a bunch of time complaining about it, but a lot of that, you know, it being overwhelming is kind of on me being able to break myself out of a completionist mindset, which is something that my current life situation pretty much requires that I do. Anyway, Like a Dragon ain't perfect, but it's greater than the sum of its parts, and its parts are pretty excellent on their own. The score I give is actually probably going to seem a little low after I, uh, after I say this, but this game single-handedly gives me hope for the direction of video games as a medium and specifically for traditional RPGs as a genre. Look, I, I like a lot of more modern games, but they're just different than old-school ones. I love the Final Fantasy VII remake, and it's definitely an RPG, but it's not like a traditional one, you know? They don't make games like Yakuza Like a Dragon anymore, and even if they did, they, even if it did have a lot of modern amenities, and, you know, I'm talking about from a big, you know, this is from Sega, like, this is a big AAA-level title in a huge series, so, you know, all due respect to Chained Echoes and Sea of Stars and all that stuff, but those are indie games that's different, you know, they might still be excellent, but it's different than when Sega, you know, puts their time, their money, and effort, you know, into something like Yakuza, like a dragon. Uh, you know, it had a great memorable story it, with a modern aesthetic that's going to appeal to all types of gamers, old school and new school, eastern and western, casual and hardcore, and this is another thing, and this is a different story for a different day because I'm already going long, that RPGs struggle with in, in the modern era. You know, it's got tra- tight traditional JRPG gameplay that's excellent in its simplicity, there's a lot of things I think Like a Dragon could have improved on, both in terms of presentation and gameplay. But I don't think I've been this interested in a new series, because it looks like Like a Dragon is going to spun off into its own series. Um, I haven't been this interested in a new series in a very long time. There's a reason second and third games in the series tend to be strong, because good developers and publishers learn from solid first outings, they make adjustments, they, you know, they do what they do to, you know, to turn good games into great games. Uh, you know, last year, I looked at Mortal Kombat 1, I looked at Mega Man 1, you know, and this is kind of a similar situation here. I think Yakuza, you know, started a, a little more on a better foot than those series. I can't wait to see what they have in store uh, for, for Like a Dragon going forward. I am super excited for Infinite Wealth to hit next year. The sky's the limit for this series. If you haven't given Like a Dragon a look yet, I highly recommend it. Score-wise, you know, objectively, probably a 9 out of 10. I I may change that, but again, for this series, I I can't see it going anywhere but up. And this was just a great, great experience um, and a pleasant surprise. But I'm running long, so that's going to do it for me this week. Uh, Thanks again for sticking around. I hope to see you back next time, but until then, happy gaming.